vision. Jesus not only had a vision, he connected his vision to the cause of his father. He said, for this cause was I brought into the world. And you need to ask yourself that question. Why do I exist? Why do I exist spiritually? What drives your life? Oh, you know, pastor, I'm driven by a vision. That's good. No, no objection to that. But, but when a vision is attached to something bigger than yourself, you find a greater measure of productivity. You can measure what you are doing and you can see fruitfulness. In the book of First Chronicles chapter 12, we have the story of a transition. Now these are the men who came to David at Ziglag while he was still in a restricted place because of Saul. They were among the mighty men who helped him in war. David was in a restricted place, but yet he had the capacity to mobilize people. And I think that is what great leadership is about. There are good leaders and there are great leaders. Great leaders take a risk and invest in people and give them responsibility. Good leaders are insecure within themselves and so people sit in the chair there for 10 years and do nothing. Because they're insecure. But David is in a restricted place and the people who came to David had far greater capacity militarily than David did if you read that whole story. And yet, David was secure, not only in his calling, but in his anointing. And so he released ministry to those who came. What's the lesson for the church? Simple. You could be one step away from discovering your life purpose if you come to us and say, I want you to use me, that's all. We'll quantify that in a little while. Now we have home sales here and we have one leader doing the home sale for the last 10 years, not developed another. We have departments and we have ministries, but somehow or other there seems to be a tension to develop other people. Because could there be some insecurity in me that stops me from not just discovering my purpose but the destiny of somebody else? That's a challenge that we have to overcome. This, uh, David was the most dysfunctional leader in the entire Bible. And yet, he knew two things. Number one, he knew his calling was solely from God, so he was secure in that calling. And number two, he knew that he had an anointing that the others would never have because there are different types of anointings for different ministries. 
And David is only at the second level of his anointing. He would go to the third when he became king of all Israel. So I want to challenge your thinking today. As a church, in the last five years, we have gone down, not up. It's a hard reality. Five years ago, we had 220 people. Now we have about 160, 165, which means we have declined. Measuring can be hard on the ego, but it's got to be done. Somebody's got to do it. Churches that are declining realize there is something wrong that needs to be fixed. And it is the responsibility of the senior pastor to fix it. Amen? Somebody gave me an amen. That's, others are not so sure, but that's all right. So David is in uh, a, a, a set of transition. More is better, not more for more's sake. So here were people who, who come to David to add value to what David is doing. That's the key. If you want ministry in my life, David is saying, then you have a desire, must have a desire to serve, not to lead. There's a difference between the two. In churches that are dying, when they did an autopsy, they found that the same person was in the same place for 10 years. Like the piano, the organist at the YMCA in Sri Lanka, who was 70 years old and says, till I'm 90, I'm going to be here and nobody will take the, piano, the organ key off me. God brings people into a church so that they can be used by God. But their heart must be a heart of service. There are two theological worldviews I have seen uh, in, 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 the, in, in analyzing churches that grow and churches that don't grow, having traveled around the world. Number one, Churches that don't grow are exclusive. Their worldview is this. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's pleasure to give thee the kingdom. I had a friend of mine who 1981 had a church called the Little Flock. 2022, it's still a little flock. Because he's making a statement, so he, he, it's, it's not going to happen. It's not a statement of faith. He wants to keep his church exclusive. And he still is. And he's a good guy. But somehow he's missed out. He comes from an extreme Pentecostal movement, which is for members only. We have one not far away from here. I know a church in, in this city that actually changed its pastor because the people who are on the board 
felt that the congregation loved the pastor more than they loved the Lord. Can you believe that? You know who I'm talking about. One person does. Actually. So they transferred him. You, you, <laughs> hello, I, I, I meet hundreds of pastors all the time and, and talk to hundreds of boards all the time. And I have seen the real reality play out over and over and over again because the congregation feel insecure. This is where I sit. You don't sit where I sit. Have you noticed the people sit in the same place? You, you go on one behind. <laughs> the other is the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The smallest seed, but it'll grow. God's desire is growth, not for growth's sake. So David is in a confined place. And yet, we discover that God is sending people to him. And when you look at, and read that story, they have different giftings. Some are more successful than others, but they're not insecure. And if there is one thing that can stop the move of God in a church... It's not the devil. We fight the devil from a place of victory, not defeat. There are churches that see a demon behind every door. We come from a superstitious country. So when somebody comes to us for some help, we attribute a demon to everything. So we have chocolate demons. If you like chocolate a lot, then they, they say, you got a chocolate demon. These are sincere people, but misguided. The one thing that can stop a church from growing is the people who are within it. Not outside. The greatest challenge of the church of Jesus Christ is not necessarily from outside, but from inside. Study the church growth movement and re read some of the, the research they have done and you'll discover that. So, so David has a vision, but it's connected to a cause. The cause of Jesus Christ is what we live and die for. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He, he said that. The prevailing force for victory in your personal life is a knowledge that the grace of God is upon your life and you have power over all the powers of darkness. So you walk in victory, not defeat. You will face struggles. Your battle will be with powers and principalities. But you don't fight those with your own armor. You fight them with the power of God, the word of God, the sword of the spirit. You're not walking around looking for your five cents coins. Oh God, if that is Christianity, I don't want it. Some Christians are so miserable, you don't want to be a part of that. I, I, I had some time long ago, a person asked me, Pastor, why do Christians look so miserable? I said, that's because they drank vinegar. 
When you come to know Christ, you must be in a joyful place. That's why I always take a photo with my wife because she's always smiling. I'm not. I've gone through my challenges. But we fight our battles from a position of victory even though we might be restrained right now. Because when the power of God and the kingdom of God comes, there is a breakthrough in our lives. So David is believing that if God has anointed him to be king, although he is not yet king, God will bring it to pass. And he doesn't go looking for people to serve. He allows the Lord to bring them to him. So when I see people in church life, I look at them and I see there's potential there. But let me tell you something. You can't do much, we can't do much with your potential if it is outside there all the time. You're not coming to a cafe to have a buffet. There has to be consistency in your life. That's what discipleship is all about. I read an article about the distinction between volunteers and servants, a, a leadership article. Volunteers will come on their time, at their convenience. Servants will come on the master's time. And I began to realize, I wish somebody had taught me this principle 25 years ago. Volunteers put their name down for something and then don't show up. And you can't do anything, but just smile. And you don't put their name on again the second time. Servants will serve in the house whether the weather is good or not. Last Tuesday, we had some cooking that went on in the kitchen. And the people who were most committed to that whole process were those whose average age was between 65 and 70. Some of them were 75, so they tipped the balance. And I was absolutely shocked at their commitment because they chose 10, 20, 30 years ago to serve in this house. Wow. And the first lady of the house cooked about 70 kilos of meat, chicken, whatever. 70. So then I began to understand the, the distinction between volunteers and servers. When we are servants, we have no choice. When we are volunteers, we can say, yes, no, I couldn't be bothered, like some of you do. And you don't give your life to volunteers. You give your life to, and time to servants. Matthew 25. So David is there, and he's not looking for a quick fix. People come to him. Verse 8 
From the Gadites, valiant men, men went over to David in the stronghold, men trained for war who could handle the shield. My gosh. Verse 16. Then some of the men of Benjamin and Judah came to the stronghold of David, and David went out to meet them and said to them, If you have come peacefully to help me, my heart shall be united with yours. Now, now, now here is what ministry is. Ministry is not just an opportunity to do something cute in the church on Sunday morning. Oh, wow, you know. Ministry is a commitment for life to a cause. So our hearts have to be united, otherwise we cannot do life together. And David doesn't apologize for that. David never provided apologetic leadership. That's why he was one of the greatest, most decisive leaders of all time in the Old Testament. As was Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, come, leave everything and follow me. He raised the bench, lifted the bar. He said, if you want to come for one of my meetings, yeah, you can come and sit there. But if you want to follow me, there is a price. And unless you are willing to pay the price, you cannot be part of what I am committed to. It's called the cause. The advancement of God's cause depended on their wise choices. It's not about leading. It's about following. And these are the guys who eventually became, in 2 Samuel 23, David's mighty men. Long haul. I'm committed. I will show up. I'm visible. And David empowers them upwards. He goes out to meet them. And he says, look, if you want to serve on my team, then you have to be connected to what I am connected to. You can't have your own agenda. If you have your own agenda, you got to go and do your own thing somewhere else. One of the greatest challenges to leadership is from leadership. David knew that. David knew that. And so he is coming with a word of wisdom to those who wanted to be part of the church. And he's saying, look, there is opportunity. But your heart has to be connected to what I'm doing. Otherwise, you're free to do your own thing. And I'll tell you something, there are a few people here who do their own thing and they're not very successful at what they're doing because it's not connected to something bigger than themselves. They just get stroked by somebody over in some country, you know, and they feel quite happy. Oh, yeah, you know. Thank you. You bought me chocolates. You get sucked in some of these guys. Yeah, I tell you, I can tell you stories till morning about what happens outside. That's not the focus. If you have come to betray me, now he's talking because some of these guys are from the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin are, on, are Saul's, Saul's brethren. And, and here's the principle. When, when you come from some other church, I can't change the vision of this church to accommodate what you brought from some other church. It doesn't work that way. You know, we did it that way, Pastor. Over there. Then actually you should be there, not here. He's not apologetic. 
I think we get it mixed up sometimes. I don't like the preaching. I don't like it either. But God, God, God's called me. Sometimes people like the pastor. They don't like the church. Sometimes they like the church. They don't like the pastor. Sometimes they don't like both. But they're still there. You can't win in this thing. I like a guy who is, who is, he's not a Christian, who told me, I like unfiltered messages. I said, at least you're one guy who likes it. He's sitting here this morning. You see, David's vision was bigger and broader than his. It was a kingdom cause. And David realizes that unless you widen your leadership base, you can't expand the kingdom as God intended it. You can't, with a limited leadership base, do what God has called you to do. Last week, I sensed five home meetings. In a church of our size, we should have 12 home meetings because that is something called the span of care. You know what the span of care is? Jesus had 12 disciples. For a home cell small group to be really successful in reaching out, you have to limit the number of people in the meeting because you are not coming for a party, you're coming for a cell, a cell multiplies. And cells that don't multiply die eventually. I know that. And I felt the Lord impress on my heart five. We only got three, four. And in the last 36 hours, I had three people here in casual conversations say, we are willing to open our homes. Wow. So I'm not just sitting and praying. I'm doing something about that. Having a vision is good, but unless you articulate the vision and get your legs moving in the right direction, nothing is going to happen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. David is looking for servants. And he's telling them there's no glamour in this. There's no glamour in serving. Because you're a servant. You have no rights, only responsibilities. You just do what is asked. You know, we, 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 live, in a, we live in a society uh, where we want autonomy. We want the freedom of the wild ass. There is no autonomy in the kingdom of God. We serve each other. And we serve from the top to the bottom. David served by example. And if you are doing anything in this house that has a leadership badge or label attached to it, your heart, your spirit, and your life must reflect servanthood. I say this very carefully. I said, I am proud that my wife leads this church by personal example. You're free to say amen to that. So, so D David is, is careful. These guys are gifted. But sometimes when you increase your gifting, your pride improves in equal proportion. Hear me carefully. 
if you and i are not careful when our gifting improves our pride level tends to go up unconsciously in equal proportion we got to be careful why did lucifer fall pride you were the anointed cherub there was nobody in this universe as anointed as this guy but you said in your heart i will be like god Absalom rebelled against his father. It's interesting that these guys never rebelled against David, but a son in his own house did. He said, "If if only I were king, I would give people justice." Wow. Absalom's spirit. Absalom built a monument to himself. That's pride. And whenever leaders fall, it's not necessarily the morality that's the issue. It's the pride that is the issue. Guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. So, so David is talking about heart issue. We we need to resolve the heart issue first. Unless you resolve the internal, you can't resolve the external. everybody says from the top to bottom there's a chinese proverb which says the higher the bamboo grows the lower it bends and 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 sometimes i i i've watched 48 years all over church life and and i've seen somebody look very humble and and then you know you think okay i'll give them this thing and and then in 3 months you wonder what's happened What's happened? Wow! I'm reminded of the story I read. There was a guy who was serving in the church and you know doing all the cleaning, this that, and they made him a deacon. Deacons become demons if you're not careful. Ah, I'm serious. You know, and and uh, and uh, uh, he used to go to the gym and lift uh, weights with the other guys. So humble. and then they made him a deacon the word deacon incidentally is servant all the dirty work is what the deacon does so it's it's not a position in fact the word pastor uh in in that culture in jewish culture if you were a pastor god help you because you mean you couldn't do anything else that be right for me and then somebody asked him hey bud Hey bro you're not coming to do push ups bodily exercise profited nothing is quoting corinthians what has happened and i have watched people they look so humble but inside there's potential for destruction in your heart and mind wow the higher a bamboo grows the lower it bends and that's not easy when god gives you anointing you have to handle that anointing with absolute grace just just look at the news cast now all over sri lanka to discover that david model servant and, and the other thing about david is he wasn't distant and unapproachable wow i'm anointed this morning some people when they become leaders they become distant and unapproachable 
I tell people, my door is open anytime. Anytime. Because I'm a servant. It might not be the most convenient time you decide to come and tell me grandmother's stories, but I will shut my mouth and listen to you. Sometimes I might shake my head, but I'm not listening. There was a pastor who was 55 years old in a church in America and the people drove him out of the church after five years. Oh, that happens, that happens, trust me. Trust me. Never take over somebody else's church. Start your own one. When you take over a church, you the alligators in the swamp. Takes you about five years to discover who they are. And, and then they got another pastor. And 10 years later, they asked the guy, the guy who left, the first guy who left, how do you manage that? He said, simple. I moved the people one inch at a time. God had given David the ability to connect all the fractured tribes together. That was great leadership. Great leadership. When God gives a vision and it's sourced in a cause, David, as a good, great leader, said, every one of you are equally important. That's mature leadership. In an orchestra, the most important person is not the one leading the orchestra. Second fiddle. But the problem in kingdom life is a lot of us don't want to be second fiddle. But that's the anointing we have. And when you function in that anointing and you recognize your limitations, you can still be productive. You don't need to be the top rooster in the hen house. That's true. And a lot of people don't realize that without the second fiddle, our orchestra can't function effectively. When God brought them to David, they embraced his vision and David made their captains in the band, 1618. Then the spirit of God came upon Amasai, the chief of the captains. God orchestrates divine partnerships to extend his cause and you got to know your place and function within the partnership. And that's not easy. Amasai is chief of the captains. David is in a stronghold. Who is the greater? David, not Amasai. And yet the spirit of God comes upon him and he says, David, we are yours. For we see God helps you. My friend, you got to believe in what this church does if you want to play a significant part in its progress. And not everybody will do that. I'm not dumb enough to, 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 to not understand that. 
But if you want a place of involvement, then you got to understand the structure that works within. And say, look, it doesn't matter. I am serving. So what? They helped David, verse 33 says, with an undivided heart. 38, they, all these men helped in battle formation. Here's another thing that stops progress in the church. Infighting. The rubbish that is under the surface. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah is trying to build the walls, but he says, I can't build the walls because there are a lot of rubbish underneath. And trust me, if you look deep enough and have discernment, you will discover there is. The unresolved conflicts and personality tensions that go on because there are, we all want to be chiefs and there are no Indians. That's why Nehemiah said, get rid of the rubbish. You can fast and pray till you're pink and purple. But unless and until we learn to deal with our interpersonal conflicts, the church cannot go forward. Read the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is not about joy exclusively. It's about conflict. But when we are like-minded... And we serve a cause. We don't care who gets the credit. When we are like-minded and we serve a cause, we don't care who is positioned where, we are working together for a cause. That's it. It's not rocket science. Read some of the conflicts in the Bible. And the church never advanced. I'm reminded of, of Miriam and Aaron uh, uh, spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman that Moses married. You see, when the three of them were part of the leadership team, whenever the ladies wanted a word from God, they came to Miriam. Wow. She's the prophetess. Thus saith the Lord. Ladies always need words. They can't read their Bible sometimes. The word is in the Bible. So, so now, now there's, there's another lady going to enter the conversation. Moses' wife. Now the ladies are going to divert to Miriam, to, to Mo Moses' wife, okay? So Miriam is upset. She's insecure. She's insecure. So she spoke against Moses. God heard it. And he says, bring them into the tent of meeting. And she was struck with leprosy. Wow. Wow. Some of, some of us might have to go to Monash. I'm serious. Thank God we are under a new covenant, not the old one. 
And you know what? The church was on standby for several days. Can't progress. When there's conflict in church that is interpersonal, we can't go forward. So this poor pastor, son-in-law of mine is fasting and praying and fasting and praying and trying to cast out all the demons in hell, but we are stuck somewhere until we learn to humble ourselves and resolve conflict. Then the flow of the Holy Spirit can penetrate. I have deep admiration for you. I don't know how you last you, probably because you are billing. I couldn't do it. I'm not called for that. I am shoot first and look for blood later. You know me. <laughs> Sometimes I don't get the target, but I still shoot. We have different callings, so that's fine. So everybody, now, now when you read this story, some are mighty men, some have slain thousands, some have slain hundreds, but, but, but they say, everyone is equally important. In this church, as long as I am here, everybody is equally important, irrespective of where you are positioned and what you do. In some churches, not so. Some churches, pastors suck up to the rich and the affluent. I have seen too much of that bad model, model in, in Sri Lanka to realize I am going to be different. And I'll say it even though I'm on camera. I don't apologize. Unfiltered. They knew how to keep better formation. They embraced the vision and embraced each other because David provided inspirational leadership. You see, we need to shape the culture of this church to make it what God wants it to become. It's not what God wants it to be. That much I know as lead and founding pastor. Oh, but I didn't know. There's a lot of things you don't know, which I know. Because I'm here and you're there. We need to shape the culture of the church to embrace people who are weaker in their expression of faith than we are. And say, you are still welcome. We will walk with you through your weakness, through your failure, and help you become the man or the woman God wants you to be. That's grace. We sing about grace, we talk about grace, we don't practice grace sometimes. We are with you in this journey. What you are doing is equally important to what I am doing. We are different in callings. That's it. The guy who fries the pan rolls at eight o'clock in the morning is of equal value and worth to somebody who might sing on a platform on Sunday morning. Equally important. Can the church do without them? Yes, they can. The church can. But you can't do without the Pandora man. Makes it a bit different. 
All I need is YouTube. I think on the 1st of January, 2nd of January, I sang with YouTube and I had 50 people up here for an altar call a few months, uh, years ago. Miss Jans helped me. So, 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 so don't run away with the impression that, that what you do is more important than what somebody else does. It's not. God is an equal opportunity employer. What would the lead singer do without the backup singers? Equally important. Ushers, equally important. Children's ministry, equally important. The guy who vacuums the church, equally important. Once we have that concept of church, then we can go. So in bringing this to a conclusion, David wasn't intimidated by the success of those who came to him. He enlisted them. Over too. Let me tell you something. If you have to sit in this church for six months before you come and tell us that you are willing to identify with our vision and our purpose and our direction and you have committed your life to God, there's something wrong with this church. Go somewhere else and find your purpose. I'm serious. It's time we say enough is enough. I'm serious. David says, all you need is a heart for God. All you need is to connect your heart with God's heart. Can't do your own thing. Connect it with something bigger than yourself. Then we can find opportunity for you. These men came to serve, not to lead. They aligned their vision with his and the cause he served. And as a result of this restructuring, there was joy, fulfillment, and victory over their enemies. Wow. Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Verse 38, all these men being men of war who helped in battle formation came to Hebron with the perfect heart to make David king. They were with David for three days. Wow. And there was joy in Israel. Your ministry is not a standalone entity that exists within the church. Your ministry, whatever you might be doing, is part of something bigger. something bigger and I think we have missed the mark on that point we have a lot of standalone ministries they're standing alone this is my ministry it isn't it's part of something bigger and my job is like Jeremiah to pull the walls down and to remind people once again that this is God's house, this is God's cause, and you serve together. 
Well, you can't go there. Says who? I've had the audacity of people tell me where I can't go. You don't, you don't, you, you don't say that to me. Oh, aren't you proud? Oh, no, nothing to do with pride. I, I've, had the, I've had people with the audacity to say that. It's lucky they didn't meet me 20 years ago. I told some guy who walked in here to the in he 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 has on his he has on his uh, shirt legacy. I said, your legacy and mine are to fight battles because we are fighters like David. David left a legacy of faith and inspiration. That's great leadership. That's great leadership because he served a cause. So in conclusion, if you have found purpose and vision for your life and you're looking for an opportunity, you're one conversation away from finding it. That's all, it's not rocket science. You don't have to fill 25 forms to serve God. We are looking for the heart. When the heart is set in the right direction, then everything else is sequential. If you're unsure of your call, you can still come to us and we will help you. But your heart must have a desire to serve. As we look to 2023, here's what we are going to do. Number one, we are live streaming a new Tamil service. We've got to keep going forward. We start five new life groups. We are going to start a discipleship training for juniors. There are guys there, 10 to 12, 13, 14, 15, who don't know where the book of Jude is probably, who need to be trained not just pushing buttons. Pushing buttons won't help in the spiritual journey. The word of God does. Develop another layer of leadership and ministry right across the board. The only reason that we can travel out now is there's someone else here to hold the fort. Otherwise you'd be holding the fifth. We de develop a department of evangelism to develop further your heart and passion to share your faith with others. How to do it with people of other faiths. Many of us don't know how to do it effectively. And the possibility of a new campus by the end of 2023 in the southeastern suburbs. And a monthly singular meeting to try to minister, not just to you, some of you who like to come for a singular service because you speak singly. That's not for you. That's for the unchurched. Unchurched. You love mister? It's for unchurched people. Not just to have a bit of a joy in the vernacular. 
Where there is no vision, people perish. We are declining. And we need to check the progress or otherwise and do something about it. Or you might look around now and say, oh, yeah, but there are a lot of people here. Yes. But over the last five years, because every Sunday, I can off the top of my head, I put on my phone the people who stayed at home and watched online. Then I checked the online attendance. And I think, oh, wow, yeah, right. Come on. Jesus is coming soon. And if we don't take the gospel and share it with others, who will? The responsibility of ushering the second coming is not in the hands of politicians, the hands of the church. Jesus said this gospel must be preached as a witness to all the world and then shall the end come. So to hasten his coming, you got to serve his cause. And it's very, very simple. Just make yourself available to God and say, Pastor, in this church, I want to do something. You know, I just want to make myself available. We'll help you find your fit, shall we? Mm -hmm.